Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the region's public policy challenges. I'm Martin Pierce. Uh, I'm on solo hosting duties today as Sharon Bessel is off doing field work. So hello, Sharon, wherever you are in the world, listen to this. Policy Forum Pod is based at Crawford School of Public Policy, the region's leading graduate policy school. You can find out more about Crawford at crawford.anu.edu.au. Here are a few questions for you. How much does it cost you to have a roof over your head? What portion of your paycheck goes straight to your landlord or to your mortgage? Or if you're someone who owns your own property, how easy do you think it would be now for the rest of the country to do what you've done? Today, we're going to be looking at the issue of housing affordability. I'll be chatting to two experts from the ANU Centre for Social Research and Methods, Associate Professor Ben Phillips and researcher Cuckoo Joseph. Last year, they conducted a survey which found that the overwhelming majority of Australians believe the dream of home ownership will be out of reach for future generations. Uh, We'll be talking about that study. I'm also going to be asking them some questions suggested earlier in the week by you, our listeners. Thanks to everyone who got in contact with your questions and suggestions. There were some real crackers in there. Uh, That's a good reminder. We would love to have you all involved in the podcast. And we've set up an email specifically for this purpose. So if you've got any thoughts, questions or comments or even topics you'd like us to cover on the pod, please send them through to podcast at policyforum.net. Alternatively, you can share your thoughts with us on Twitter, where we are Apps Policy Forum, or on Facebook, where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. But for now, let's welcome our guests. Hello, Ben. Hello, Martin. And hello, Coogan. Hello, Martin. Thanks so much for joining the podcast, both of you. Let's dive right in. As I mentioned, you both conducted research last year on the issue of Australia's housing affordability. Ben, perhaps if we can turn to you first, could you paint a picture for us? Does Australia have a housing affordability problem? And if so, how big is that problem? Sure. Look, it's uh, housing affordability is obviously very much a hot topic of conversation um, in Australia and also a very difficult policy issue for Australia, particularly for policymakers, uh, whether that's state, federal or local government. So it's certainly an interesting topic for us researchers. Uh, it's difficult to know exactly what housing affordability is. Uh, there's lots of different ways of, of looking at it, and it does uh, it does change the way you think of housing affordability depending on which sort of measure you're actually looking at. So overall, certainly house prices in Australia have become extremely expensive in Australia over the last 15 or 20 or so years. Uh, so just to give you an example, the, the typical house price in Australia today is around $540,000. That's for a detached house. And that's about four times higher than back in the uh, late 1990s when it was around just 130000 which just seems like a cute little number these days. So certainly things have gotten much more expensive in terms of buying a house. 
But there are also other ways of looking at housing affordability. So when you go and buy a house, of course, you don't just hand over that $540,000. You tend to go to the bank um, and get a loan. You might have a deposit, of course, so you're very, very likely to have a deposit. Or you might, of course, just be paying rent. Or like one in three households, you've actually got very limited housing costs because you are lucky enough to own your own house. You must have bought that probably many, many years ago. Uh, so when you look at it in terms of what we pay on a weekly or a monthly basis for housing, we don't actually find that housing costs have changed all that much over the last 20 or so years. It still remains on average around about 15% of, of household disposable income goes to housing costs, and that hasn't changed a lot. It's a little bit higher than back in the early 1980s when it was more like around 11%. Uh, so certainly in terms of what we pay in terms of mortgages or what we pay in terms of rents, things haven't changed that much. The real issue with housing affordability, as I see it, is around getting that deposit together to purchase that first home. So if you're a renter and you're wanting to get into the housing market um, and if you don't have parents who've got lots of money who can who can help you out in that regard, um, pulling together that deposit is the real challenge. And that really is based on, say, a, a, a 10, 15, 20% share or deposit of that purchase price. So that's where it becomes very difficult. So on a $540,000 home, you might be looking at needing to pull together a deposit of over $100,000. And then on top of that, you've got stamp duty, which varies from uh, state to state, but it might be also 10, 15, $20,000. You might be a bit less if you're a first home buyer, depending on what's going on at the time in the policy world. But you can easily be looking at having to stump up well over $100,000 of, uh, of cold hard cash which is very difficult for, for most young families to stump up. So has that situation got worse over the, over the last few years? Yeah, so certainly that's where things, as I see it, have gotten much worse. It's, rents have always been relatively expensive, particularly for low-income families, and that's a particular problem we've got in Australia but have had for, for many decades. But certainly for buying a new house, putting, pulling together the money you require for a deposit has gotten substantially more difficult. What's become easier is that once you've managed to pull that money together, your mortgage repayments are probably less as a share of your income than what they were uh, 30 or so years ago. And that's because interest rates have come down a lot. So on one hand, interest rates are much lower. That's helped once you're in the market. But if, if you're out of the market trying to get in, what really matters for you at this point anyway is that deposit, and that's increased substantially in line with house prices, which, as I said before, have, have quadrupled over the last uh, last 20 or so years. So that's the real challenge for people. But once they actually get together that deposit, there is potentially some good news on the other side. There is, and that's not to say that many households, many families don't struggle. Many families will be really facing a very large mortgage because obviously with high house prices, you'll have a high mortgage. And it also, with with low with well, we've got low interest rates and low inflation. It tends to mean and low wage inflation, I should say as well. We tend to be paying off a higher share of our mortgages for a longer period of time, whereas our parents say back in say the nineteen eighties, uh, they had inflation rates of over ten percent for quite a while there about five years or so down the track, you'd actually eaten into a lot of your mortgage just by having very high inflation. So, And your wages would, would have also been increasing um, quite substantially as well. So when that's not happening, you tend to, it tends to mean that you're paying off a, a large share of your income for many years. So it's not just painful initially, but also further down the track. But as I said, it's, it's really that deposit 
is what you really require. And that's the difficulty at this point for, for many families trying to get into that housing market. And while we've seen home ownership rates have certainly declined for younger generations compared to, say, uh, 20 or 30 years ago. But presumably there are some policy levers we can actually pull to kind of tackle that deposit problem. And we'll talk about that a little later. But for now, I'd like to turn to you, Cuckoo, and pick your brains about um, whether you can give us some perspective in terms of whether this is a, a, a particular Australian problem or you know whether uh, there are other societies particularly around the region who might have their own anxieties about uh, about home ownership how does Australia compare to other countries on this issue you know especially countries in the Asia Pacific so Australian house prices are rising as they are in many other countries but it's important to know where Australia stands compared to other countries so House price to income ratio is a commonly used measure, but probably a simplistic way to indicate housing affordability. So here I'm looking at another measure tracked by the OECD, which was updated in early 2017, is the housing cost overburden rate, which measures the proportion of households that spend more than 40% of their disposable income on housing-related costs. That's mainly mortgage repayments and rent. So in most OECD countries, including Australia, median housing costs are higher for renters than for owner-occupier households with mortgages. This could be because the home ownership rate has been declining and older or established households with mortgages could be closer to repaying their loans. In addition to that, mortgage costs are relatively lower in recent years due to very low interest rates and the fact that many mortgages are paying off their loans from many years ago. So looking at the statistics in Australia, the median housing cost as a share of their disposable income for rent is about 24% and for mortgage repayment it is about 21%, which are broadly consistent with the OECD average. But in, in comparison to other countries, Australians spend relatively less on rental costs than renters from the UK and the US, and which is about 28% and 25% respectively. On the other hand, the amount spent on mortgage repayments is higher in Australia than the UK and the US, and much higher compared to some European countries. So there is a difference in housing cost, and that depends if you're looking at the rental market or housing market. But in comparison, Australia's housing cost is relatively high, but I should also note that it's much worse in some other countries, especially some European countries like Norway, Finland. Great. I, I wanna also want to pick your brains about... Uh, an ANU poll that came out last year which looked at some of the public attitudes towards housing affordability. Could you talk us through what some of the findings were on there? So ANU poll is an Australian public opinion survey. Recently a survey was conducted on attitudes to housing affordability by our colleague Dr Jill Shipper jointly with Professor Matthew Gray and Ben Phillips. The poll surveyed about 2,500 Australians on a range of issues relating to housing affordability. There were some interesting responses, particularly around the Australian government policies that target housing affordability. More than 80% of respondents were supportive of the First Home Owners Grant. This appears to be the most popular response to the decline in housing affordability. And I think the main component here is the fact the First Home Owners Grant helped many people to build up their deposit and finally entering into the housing market. And another hot topic around housing affordability is that investors getting benefits from negative gearing. So the poll finds that more than half of respondents would support the removal of tax incentives like negative gearing, 
But if you ask this question to investors, 26% strongly oppose removing tax incentives. And only 12% of investors support the removal. Another interesting response what I thought is that only 11.9% said that negative gearing is the primary motivation for investing in a property. And I think this is consistent with ABS data. And the most popular reason was that investment property is a secure place to store money, which we know where they're coming from because property prices have been going up. In terms of supply-side policy response, more than half of respondents are supportive of building more houses in their local area, and only 18% oppose the idea. And a vast majority of 60% support the increase in the supply of public housing. But I think this heavily depends on the property location, where some suburbs can be less likely to embrace the idea of public housing or developing new units. In the last budget, the Australian government announced a number of measures to try and tackle housing or affordability. Have any of those measures been successful? Look, I think um, in terms of evaluating how successful or otherwise policy has been, particularly in the housing space, you probably need many years uh, to actually work out whether the policies have been successful or not. Uh, one, of their, one of their schemes was uh, what's called the First Home Super Saver Scheme and also another scheme for older Australians. And really what these schemes are looking at is providing some tax concessions to improve your savings or to make it more uh, concessional in terms of, say, your superannuation for older Australians when you're downsizing to move from, say, a large house into, say, a smaller unit or, or the like. Uh, it takes many years to work out how successful these have been, but typically we do find that the uptake of these sorts of programs are usually quite limited. Um, but uh, time will tell to see whether these schemes will be successful or not, but I suspect their success will be at the most at the margins as opposed to anything that actually you know, greatly changes the game, particularly for, for first-home buyers. And one of the key features of the government's plan was... Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. To unlock supply, I say that with, you know, air quotes, meaning that they want to make it easier for more houses to be built. Yet some of your research uh, published in November indicates that contrary to popular wisdom, Australia doesn't in fact have a housing shortage. What's going on there? Yeah, so a popular um, a popular point that, say, industry would make, uh, also the Great Institute has recently made, is that Australia's housing supply just has not kept up with population growth. Uh, we did a um, quite an extensive study, a research project, around the amount of supply that's been put into the Australian market um, over the past 15 or so years. And we did this on a regional basis. So we split up the country into, I think it was around 300 or so different regions. And we found there were some areas that had that did actually supply more than what was required for their population and vice versa, some that actually undersupplied. We didn't find there was any great difference in terms of uh, change in house price growth from those different regions, whether they were oversupplied or undersupplied. So we didn't find a particularly strong relationship there. And we overall found that Australia had kept up with, with population growth. There's some periods where we probably undersupplied. That was last decade. But we're currently, of course, we've got record levels of, of, um, of housing supply going into the market. Uh, we're currently building about 220, 230,000 dwellings per year, which is 
a long, long way above record levels um, in, in the past. Um, and of course, as we know, this hasn't really improved housing affordability. But again, as I was saying before, you probably need a bit of time to work out whether this is actually having an impact or not. Uh, but overall, we don't find that the supply side has been that much of a problem. We think it's probably a little bit overblown um, compared to what some other, um, what the industry would say anyway. So that the supply side isn't what's actually driving prices, isn't what's driving affordability? We, we don't think it's it's one of the main drivers. I'm not saying that it's not a driver, but we don't think it's it's the, the main driver. Um, as I said, there's plenty of regions that have had, uh, you know, very high levels of supply in recent times. I know here in Canberra, we've had an incredibly strong amount of growth of, of particular units here in Canberra, as they have in, say, inner parts of Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. And at the same time, we've still managed to see very strong house price growth. Um, so we don't see it as the main driver. There's probably other things that are driving it that are probably at a, to a greater extent. Great. Well, we um, reached out on Twitter and asked our listeners for their questions and comments and ideas on this topic. We specifically asked them what policies they would recommend to make the Australian dream of home ownership more possible. So I'd like to raise some of these with you and see and see what your response is. At BrianCav123, that's Brian Kavanagh. Hi, Brian. Hello, Brian. Hi, Brian. He writes um, in terms of uh, policy, he says, the same instrument we used to break up the big estates between 1910 and 1952, a federal land tax, but this time to bring down speculatively inflated land prices. So I think to restate that one, Brian is asking whether the government could use a federal land tax to help bring down land prices. Ben, Cuckoo, what do you think? Uh, so I think on the land tax, this is, is certainly an area that um, many economists and some policymakers, uh, I think there's some agreement amongst most economists that land taxation is probably a superior, in their language, a more efficient form of taxation than many other forms that we've got, such as stamp duty, or even if you're going for a big broad uh, changes to the tax system, say income tax in Australia, which we rely upon very heavily. So perhaps a, a change in the mix towards land tax would be a good thing. That's happening here in the ACT um, with a reduction in stamp duty and an increase in, in land taxation. That's probably a, probably a good thing. It probably leads to a better allocation of, of housing. Uh, and you don't have the uh, the large, um, as we talked about before, that large um, stamp duty upfront cost for first home buyers if you move more towards a land tax system. Um, so there's probably some some positives in doing that. Uh, whether it's going to change house prices dramatically, whether that's in the short term or even medium term, I'm not so sure. It's it's um, probably up for debate that one. But I could see it could certainly help out first home buyers with lower stamp duty costs, so you don't have to stump up the twenty or thirty thousand dollars in in the cold hard cash I was talking about before. Great. Well, thanks very much for that question, Brian. Another question from Melanie, uh, Doctor Mel Ob on Twitter. Hi, Melanie. Hello, Melanie. She asks, why are we not putting a cap on the number of residential properties one person can own? What do you reckon? Well, ben? that's a, it's a good question, Melanie. Um, I guess uh, perhaps a, an economist response to that would be that it's we do have a free market and if people wish to invest in, in housing, they probably are free to do so. Um, so I couldn't really see a, a situation where um, it would be state-imposed that people should be and not allowed to hold more than one house or two houses. Perhaps what we could do is so we could limit, say, the, the tax concessions on the, say, on the second house or the third house or the fourth house or the total value of, of housing. Um, so perhaps that might be an area where there, there could be some fruitful policy work done. Great. Well, thanks again for that question, Melanie. Another question, this time from 
Bosey96, at Bosey96. Hi, at Bosey96. I hope I got the pronunciation there right. Hello, Bosey. Hi, Bosey. Uh, Bosey writes, uh, what is the influence of foreign investment on house pricing, ha- housing prices in Australia? Would locking more foreign investors out of the market improve housing affordability? Look, it's a good question and one which I probably don't have a very good response to, and that is that there's actually not any particularly good data that's at least publicly available on the level of, of foreign investment. Um, I guess f- from one perspective, it may well drive up demand, and we don't know to what extent that drives up demand. Uh, but we also know that it could well be contributing to supply to some extent as well, in that um, there's at least anecdotal evidence that, say, many of the new unit developments that are going into our major capital cities uh, to some extent being snapped up by foreign buyers. So I don't think it's clear what the actual impact would be there. Okay, well, that's great. Thanks again for that question, Bosey96. And a, a final question to you both. The next Australian budget is only weeks away now. If you could you know, wave a magic wand and have the government implement all of your recommendations on housing affordability, what would you have them do? Well, I think, um, unfortunately, in housing policy in Australia, we've had many, many years where uh, federal governments of, of all colours uh, are probably... Uh, not paid a lot of attention to housing. We've had a lot of little bits and pieces styles of style of policy. Um, and a lot of the actual hard work probably is done at the state and the local level. Um, but I think areas which I would be probably focusing on would be those would be the tax concessions. So at the moment there's some pretty strong tax concessions there for um, for, for the investors. Uh, that would be an area I would be looking at. Probably encouraging states on the on the land tax side would also be quite helpful. Um, I wouldn't be encouraging the first home buyer grants, which are, are popular, but uh, do have the unfortunate impact of tending to push up prices at the same time um, and being a quite an expense to, to federal and state governments. I'd also, my area probably of where I think you can have the most impact in the short term perhaps is, is probably putting a little more money into the public housing, perhaps having a more efficient allocation of the public housing. And also um, on the government welfare or payments side, we know that um, payments to, say, those on Newstart are particularly low and also related to that is Commonwealth Rent Assistance. So both of those payments have, have not kept up in any way, shape or form with either inflation or, or, or rents or housing costs in Australia. So I think perhaps uh, some increase to the Commonwealth Rent Assistance is is probably a fairly obvious um, way to, to help out affordability for those at the very bottom end of the, uh, of the income spectrum. I should say, like, for foreign investors, there should be something to, like, a tax or something to keep unoccupied because we know that for, like, a lot of inner-city suburbs, inner-city suburbs have, like, units which are kept unoccupied by foreign investors, so there should be something around that to keep that one low. Great. So do either of you feel optimistic that any of those recommendations or policies might actually be in the next budget? Well, I've been in the housing space now since uh, the early 2000s and I haven't seen anything particularly exciting in that time, but I remain hopeful that um, sometime in the near future we will see some improved housing policy at both the national and the, uh, and the state level. Well, I think optimism is always a, a good approach to things. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and insights, Ben and Cuckoo. Thank you. Martin. Thank you, Martin. Welcome back. That was Ben Phillips and Cuckoo Joseph from the ANU Centre for Social Research and Methods speaking with me there. Uh, you can find out more about them at csrm.cas, that's C-A-S-S, 
www.anu.edu.au or you can follow that centre on Twitter where they are what Aust thinks, as in what Australia thinks, what Aust thinks. So what did you think of the discussion today? Do you agree with our experts on how we go about fixing housing affordability in Australia? Let us know your thoughts and we will do our best to discuss them on upcoming podcasts. You can send in your thoughts to our email address, podcast at policyforum.net. Um, or you can let us know on Twitter where we are Apps Policy Forum or find out or find us on Facebook where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. Now on that topic, we've got something special coming up in future uh, installments of Policy Forum Pod. I mentioned on the last podcast that I run a media practicum course here at Crawford School. And in coming weeks, I'm going to be leaving the driver's seat and letting two of my students behind the wheel. Uh, so your your upcoming podcast host is Maya, and I've got her here with me now to discuss what she's actually got planned for that upcoming episode. Maya, you have done some excellent trailers for Policy Forum Pod, but this is your full pod debut. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to get the show on the road. So the podcast that you've got planned, what is it about? Yeah, so um, my podcast will be about, you know, the benefits and challenges of the new Department of Home Affairs. So the Australian government recently decided to expand the Department of Home Affairs into this one mega department, you know, where Australia's, you know, uh, intelligence and border force and security agencies will be under the same management. So there's lots of questions there. It'll be a really exciting discussion. They were quite big departments already. So what does the new Department of Home Affairs look like? So basically we'll be bringing in, you know, ASIO and the Australian Border Force together into the one department. And it'll all be headed by um, the Minister for National Security. Um, So that should be really interesting. And there'll be lots of challenges and lots of logistical issues with bringing all these agencies into the one department. So we'll be exploring that a little bit more as well. That sounds great. So who have you got lined up to talk about this? So we've got some really prominent academics from the ANU, from the ANU's National Security College and the Strategic and Defence Studies Centre. Great. That sounds really good. And can people get involved in this? Yeah, definitely. So if you have any burning questions to ask about you know, the Department of Home Affairs, who's going to be running it, the logistics, the challenges, just let me know. You can contact us at at podcast at policyforum.net with your questions and I'll hopefully bring them up in the podcast. Yeah, you can also reach out to us on Twitter where we are Apps Policy Forum or you can find us on Facebook where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. Well, thanks for coming to talk to us about it, Maya. I'm really looking forward to it. When should we expect this podcast? So it'll be out on the 4th of May. Uh, okay, so this is going to be your Star Wars, May the 4th be. <laughs> Definitely. So you've got until the start of May to give me your questions. Great stuff. Well, thanks again, Maya. Thanks for coming in. I'm looking forward to that. Um, as I said, you can keep in contact with us on Twitter or Facebook, or you can, um, if, you, if you're feeling really generous, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, keep an eye on Policy Forum, our website, policyforum.net, for analysis on some of the key policy issues affecting the region. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Uh, but until then, cheerio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.